Everybody doing okay? <laughs> that was better than the nine o'clock response. I was just, uh, it, was, um, it was just radio silence. But uh, everyone's tired, man. Everyone's worn out. Uh, we were just talking. I was, I was talking with um, someone back in the back. It's, I'm not working more than, than I've worked in the past. I'm just stressed all the time. And I, I feel like there's a lot of people where it's not necessarily that you're doing more, uh, but there's never, it never seems to be any moments of rest. It's just hard right now. So I said all that to say, man, make sure you guys take care of yourself mentally. Make sure you take care of yourself physically. And um, of course, take care of yourself spiritually. That means you gotta be praying right now, guys. Uh, read the word of God. Um, <laughs> I made a joke at the, at the nine. I've been going back through the Old Testament. I just got done with Joshua and now I'm in Judges. And I think Mel Gibson should make a movie about the book of Joshua because all it is is war, right? It's like Braveheart, except kind of like biblical style. So um, I, I just think it'd make a good movie. So if you've never read Joshua, there's parts in there where they like cut off fingers and toes and like all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm going back there and reading it. But um, there is a lot of encouragement uh, throughout the entire Bible. And it's a good time to be reading the word, man. It's a good time just to be taking care of yourself and getting closer to God. So I hope you guys are doing that. Um, we have been working through the gospel of Matthew, and um, we've been in it for quite some time. And if you have not been here with us, this is what we do. We, we do whole books of the Bible. And listen, if you've been here or if you've been watching online, do you guys not find it fascinating? This is the third time I've taught the book of Matthew all the way through. And every time I teach any book of the Bible, it is amazing to me how what is on the page is always completely relevant to what's going on in the world. It is just unbelievable. Uh, and, and if you've been with us through Matthew, I didn't plan it, right? Who would have guessed that 2020 would have been the <laughs> crap storm that it is, right? But who would have guessed such a thing? But it's amazing that, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I'm so sorry. Anyways, uh, it's amazing though that as we go through Matthew, like it's also pertinent. It's also so relevant. And you read it and you're like, wow, you know, that could have been written last week because it was exactly what I was going through and it spoke to me in this way. And I hope that the Bible's been that alive for you recently. It's, it's pretty amazing. So last week we were in chapter 17. And where we are in the book of Matthew, and it's kind of a turning point in the entire Bible, is Jesus has been going around for a couple of years doing miracles, telling people about the kingdom of God, training up his disciples. But there's a shift that takes place in about chapter 16, 17 of Matthew, where Jesus starts deliberately walking towards his own death, the cross, Right? Not only is he deliberately walking towards it, I mean, he's, he's telling his disciples, we're going to read it today. They're going to arrest me. They're going to beat me. They're going to kill me. And I'm going to raise again on the third day. He's very, very clear about what's going to happen. So that's one major shift. The other major shift, and this is important for today, is not only is Jesus walking toward his, towards his death, he is preparing his followers to be the church. What we're doing right now, and people watching online right now, we're the church and it is starting to form in this part of Matthew. We're starting to see kind of the foundation of Christianity be built in these chapters. So last week, we talked about that Jesus took a couple of his disciples up on a mountain. He was transfigured, which means he was kind of temporarily, uh, there was like a metamorphosis where he kind of showed a couple of his followers a glimpse of eternity, right? It was like looking at the sun. It was so bright. And then they go down off the mountain. They find the other nine disciples haven't had as good of an experience. And they've had this lapse of faith. And this man ran up to the disciples and said, pray for my son. He's demonically possessed and he's trying to kill himself. And 
The disciples couldn't help him, so Jesus cast this demon out of a boy and kind of got on to his disciples, and they said, well, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said, because you lacked faith. We talked about last week the faith of a mustard seed, right? That if we can have the kind of faith that says, Jesus, let, let your will be done in my life, that Jesus will move those obstacles, those mountains out of our way. We talked about that last week, okay? This week, we're gonna talk about this. And again, keep in mind, Jesus is building up the foundation of the church, us. So in the second half of chapter 17, he's going to talk about some responsibilities that we as followers of Jesus are to have, okay? So this is gonna be a very practical lesson today. And at the end, there'll be kind of a series of things that we're responsible for. And and you may see some things that you do really well at. And you may see some things where you're like, I should probably work on this one, right? And that's okay. That's why we do this, right? To identify what we need to work on and and work on it. So we'll talk about that a little bit today and and hopefully it'll encourage you uh, as you leave here, okay? All right? So you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. If you didn't, everything will be on the screens. Uh, We have the Experience Community app. If you download that, uh, click on service time, sermon notes, everything should be there. Recently, I've had a lot of people ask me what translation of the Bible I use. That's a good question. That leads me to believe that people are reading their Bibles. Um, I read the Christian Standard Bible. People often ask me what's my favorite translation, and I always say the one that you will pick up and read. So... I don't care what translation you have. I just care that you read it. And if, uh, if you read it, you'll get the general idea. There might be slight variations, but none that are theologically going to throw you off too far unless you're reading like a Jehovah's Witness Bible. And I don't mean that mean, but it's wrong. Anyways, so um, let me pray. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm on like a no negative thing. I'm trying to be like a more positive person until the end of this year, right? Uh, because there's enough negativity to go around. So I'm trying to be a little bit better, so... Help me with that. (laughs) Okay. All right, I'm going to pray. I'm going to stop. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Lord, keep your hand on us today, God. Uh, For my brothers and sisters in this room and all the people watching, Lord, keep us healthy physically. Keep us healthy uh, emotionally and mentally, God. And Lord, please keep us healthy spiritually. Lord, we don't just pray for our church. We pray for every church in our city. We pray for our local government, Lord. We pray for our first responders and our police officers and sheriff's department, God. We pray for our our state government. We pray for our federal government. Lord, we pray for the nonprofits in our city, God, as they're doing their best to to do what they do, Lord, but it's hard right now because they can't fundraise and they can't get into the communities the way that they would like to, Lord. Please keep your hand on them. And Lord, I just pray that everything we do today, that it honors you and that it sharpens us, God. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 17, verse 22, we're going to start there. We'll read a little bit. We'll go back and we'll dissect it, okay? Matthew writes, as they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus told them, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day, he will be raised up. And they were deeply distressed. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the temple tax approached Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he said. And when he went into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. What do you think, Simon? That's Peter. From who do earthly kings collect tariffs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? From strangers, Peter said. Then the sons are free, Jesus told him. But so we won't offend them. That's going to be a pivotal passage today. Go to the sea, 
Cast in a fish hook, take the first fish that you catch, and when you open its mouth, you'll find a coin. Take it and give it to them for me and you. Okay, just for reference, that's the weirdest miracle in the entire Bible. So anyways, so we have been talking about this very deliberate and conscious decision that Jesus is making to walk towards his own death, the cross, all right? So here we see the second time that Jesus, he's not ambiguous at all. He looks at him and says, they're gonna arrest me, they're gonna beat me, they're gonna kill me. On the third day, I'm going to raise from the grave, right? So it says that the 12 disciples, who I believe all 12, even the one that betrayed Jesus, I believe they genuinely love Jesus. I believe that. And so these men, though, were distressed. Why were they distressed? They were distressed probably more because of themselves and not what was going to happen to Jesus. And I don't mean that as a knock on them, but they're human like we are. So they're thinking about their own safety. They're probably thinking, man, I didn't sign up for like bloodshed and death, right? I thought we were just gonna be doing miracles and traveling around. And so their expectations weren't what they thought it was going to be. And what the disciples were doing is they were doing the same thing that we do, right, with Christianity. Sometimes we have a tendency to focus on the negative. I tend to do that quite a bit. I can be very pessimistic. Where we read about the suffering, and even with us, guys, Jesus said we're all gonna suffer, but we're all going, us, we're all going to resurrect as well and be with Jesus for eternity. But what we tend to do is we don't think about the resurrecting and being with Jesus. We're just like, oh no, we're gonna have to suffer. And we kind of focus on that suffering part. It's exactly what the disciples were doing. They missed the resurrection part, Jesus said, and they're like, oh, he's gonna suffer, right? We're gonna suffer. We don't like that. So remember, we are seeing the bedrock of the church being built. So as Jesus goes back in from a non-Jewish area to a Jewish area, the region of Galilee, Matthew is gonna start emphasizing the responsibilities of us, Christians, right? People who follow Jesus. And so here's what we're gonna see, kind of the overarching themes we're gonna see in the rest of this chapter. We're gonna see the importance of us being humble, being pure. You're gonna see that we have to have relationships and we have to have good relationships to the best of our ability with non-believers. There are other responsibilities that we have as Christians and there are privileges we have as Christians that sometimes we have to lay aside in order to be a good example for the community around us. These are different responsibilities of the church. And so there's this conversation about taxes. I know everyone loves talking about taxes, right? Especially within church, it's really good to talk about taxes. I'm being facetious, right? But there's this conversation that is going on between Peter, a tax collector, and then Peter and Jesus about temple taxes. Now, this tax really doesn't have, this conversation about taxes, really doesn't have anything to do with taxes. What we're seeing in chapter 17 is we're seeing a transition from the ways of the Old Testament, that's back here in the beginning of the Bible, into the new ways of the New Testament. What I mean is this. The Old Testament is good to read. There are so many good principles. There are so many good things that we should live by in the Old Testament, like the Ten Commandments. There are also a lot of obligations in the Old Testament that we are not responsible for anymore. Like if you read the book of Leviticus, right? I think it's chapter 19. It says men can't trim their beards. It says you can't blend certain kinds of cotton. You can't have shrimp or pork, things like that, right? We are liberated from those things. You can go to Slick Pig. You can have a shrimp cocktail when you leave if you're fancy like that. You can get tattoos now, thank God, right? You can do all these different things. And so we are liberated from some of those obligations in the New Testament. 
One of those obligations that the Jews had before Jesus was a temple tax. That wasn't tithing, like if you give to this church, it was different. They had their tithing that went for the work of the ministry. And then on top of that, they had a temple tax, which was for like the maintenance of the building and, and things that like the construction of new temples. And they were free of that. But Jesus was telling his people, even though you're free of it, we still need to live sacrificially, right? We still need to be giving generous people in the hopes of winning other people to God. So Jesus and his disciples go into a, a, a now Jewish area, right? This area of Capernaum. It's North, uh, North Israel. They go in, and it didn't take long for them to get harassed. <laughs> right when they stroll into town, this is just how humans work too. Everyone was offended by Jesus, but they were afraid to go right to Jesus. So the tax collector goes to Peter, right? That's how we work as humans. We're offended by this person, but instead of going to them, like the Bible says we should, we talk bad about him to other people and then we attack as a group, right? That's what we do as, as humans now, even as Christians. And so instead of going to Jesus, the tax collector goes to Peter and says, hey, <laughs> does your teacher pay the temple tax? And Peter's like, yeah, yeah, we pay, we pay the tax, right? So Peter told the tax collector, yeah, my, my teacher, he, Jesus, he pays the tax. And then Peter goes into the house where they're staying, and you got to love Jesus' style. Jesus knew everything, so he knew he just had this conversation out there, and Jesus is waiting. I don't know if he had his arms crossed like this, but Jesus is waiting. He says, hey, Simon, I heard you say that uh, we pay our tax. Can I tell you why we pay our tax? Now, the reason I highlighted that word why, this is how Jesus works. We often talk about what we do or what we don't do. Now, that's important. What we do is important, right? Our actions are important, of course. Jesus likes to go deeper than just what we do and ask us, why do we do that? So we say, I'm a Christian. I go to church. That's what I do. Jesus would say, well, why do you go to church? Because you feel like you have to? Because you feel like people are going to judge you if you don't? Because you feel like if you just step inside that building once a week that you're saved? Why do you do that? We say, well, we give to the church, right? That's what I do. I give, I give 10% of my income to the church. And Jesus says, well, why do you do that, right? Do you do it so you can write it off on your taxes? Do you do it so people can think you're super, super gracious, right? Why do you? Or do you do it because you genuinely want to see the gospel advance? Why do you do it? Jesus always wants to go deeper than just the surface. He wants to ask why. What's the state of our heart? That's what Jesus wants to find, figure out. So again, this conversation has nothing to do with a temple tax, it has everything to do with the state of our heart. And so Jesus looks at Peter and he says, okay, let's say there's a king. Now, do kings collect taxes from their own family or do they collect taxes from outsiders? Peter's like, well, it wouldn't make sense to take it from your family because all the taxes go towards the work of the kingdom. So they don't take it from their sons, they take it from strangers. And Jesus says, exactly. You're my son, Peter. You're my follower. So you don't owe anyone anything except for me. The only person that we as Christians are indebted to is Jesus Christ. So there's something bigger than taxes. Corey just said we don't have to pay taxes. That's not what I said, right? We'll be on CNN tonight if you do that. So anyways, what Jesus was telling Peter was you're alleviated from the work of the past and from here on out depend on my work. He was basically saying, it's not your goodness that's going to save you. It's my goodness, Peter. I'm the one that's good, right? And my actions are going to save you, not your actions. So they didn't have to pay the tax. 
I don't know about you guys, when I study this, I'm like, well, if I didn't have to pay it, I probably just wouldn't, right? But they did. And so Jesus tells Peter to go get the money from a fish. The weirdest thing in the book of Matthew, maybe in the New Testament, very weird. And I should have expounded on this more, but, but this shows the sovereignty of Jesus. What that means is Jesus is God, right? He knows all, sees all. There's another part of Matthew, I think it's chapter 10, where, where Jesus says that every time a dead bird hits the earth, God knows about it. So Jesus not only knows what you're doing all the time, he knows what everything is doing all the time. And Jesus knew that once upon a time, for some reason, a fish had swallowed the exact amount of money that would pay the temple tax, and that fish was hanging out right over there. So go throw a hook in the sea, you're going to pull up a fish. You, you can just kind of watch Peter just like squeezing the fish and out comes a coin. And he's like, yep, I'll go give this to the tax collector. Weird, right? And all these other fishermen are like squeezing fish on the other side of the beach, seeing if they can get money. So here's the point though. Peter was basically saying, why do we pay the tax when we don't have to pay the tax? And Jesus answers, this is so important. He says, this is why we do things that we don't have to do because we don't want to be offensive. We don't want to offend the non-believers. What does that mean? Jesus was teaching Peter that even though we have the right to do something or not do something, sometimes we lay those rights down so we can be a good example to non-believers. Let me tell you, because you're in this room and, and, and you're wearing one of these right now, I, I found it interesting. I had a couple people, when I made this a mandate here, they sent me emails saying, oh, you're just bowing down to the government. And I'm like, Let's dissect that statement. The government said everyone had to do it except for churches. I don't have to do this. The government didn't make me do it. The reason why I, and the reason why some of you, no one likes wearing these things, by the way. I hate it. And so the reason why we decided to do this is not because anyone made us do it. We have the right not to do it. But in order to have a good standing with the non-believing community around us, because this is a big church that has a lot of influence in this area and beyond this area, we choose to lay down our rights so we can be a good example to those around us. And there's lots of times, right, in your life where you will lay down rights in order to have a good standing with non-believers. So Jesus' willingness to do this, he didn't have to do it, but he did it. Was it showed his humility, and it created a rapport with people that didn't know who he was yet. Because sacrifice reveals the state of the heart. And Christians should not aim to be offensive. That doesn't mean we won't offend sometimes, because sometimes people get offended by the truth. But we should not aim to be offensive. That's not our goal, especially with non-believers. So Jesus sets the example of, of, of sacrificing privileges in order to have a good reputation with people that didn't know him yet. So we have to ask ourselves, do we care more about our personal freedoms? Do we care more about our privileges? Or do we care more about the advancement of the kingdom of God? We have to ask ourselves the, the age-old question, right? What would Jesus do? Well, we just see Jesus would lay down his rights in order to get the attention of non-believers. That's what he would do. But to do that takes humility, and that's where a lot of us struggle, if we're being honest, even me at times, okay? All right, let me read a little bit more. So at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, so who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child and had him stand among them. 
Truly I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. So from this point in chapter 18 that I just read to you, up until the very end of chapter 20, there's kind of this overarching theme of humility and servanthood. You're going to see a humble Jesus and a servant Jesus, okay? We've already seen that, but you're going to see it more. Now, it's fascinating that humility and servanthood are the theme because it comes right on the tail of his disciples walking up and saying, hey, when we get to heaven, who's going to have the best house, right? Who's going to have the most authority? Who's going to be the most popular? Is it going to be me? It's not going to be Peter, is it, right? Who's it going to be? And they were arguing about it. Now, here's where the disciples made the mistake, and we do this a lot. You guys ever think about heaven? I think about it a lot. I think, will there be old cars in heaven? And if not, like, will I get to drive anything? You know, like, I just ask about this. So um, we often try to frame heaven the way we frame earthly kingdoms. And the disciples were thinking about earthly kingdoms, probably the Roman Empire, right? Because that's who they were under at that time. And they thought the kingdom of God would be like earthly kingdoms. And if you were to ask people who are high up in earthly kingdoms, they would say, well, if you want to be ahead, you got to climb the corporate ladder. You got to make more money. You got to step over people, right? You got to get more degrees and be more educated and do all these things, right? And that's not the way the kingdom of God works. And so it was a very selfish question. Jesus, who's going to be the best, right? Who's going to be the person of greatest stature? It was this jockeying for position, this jockeying for privilege in the afterlife. And Jesus's response to who will be the greatest in heaven was exactly the opposite that you would receive in this kingdom, the United States, or any other kingdom that has ever existed, where they would tell you to, to, to step over people and do what's best for you, and it's all about you. Jesus says, no, 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 no. He says the path to greatness comes through childlike humility. Even brings a kid over there. Imagine being that kid, right? Calls this kid over and says, hey, be more like this kid. That's how you become great in the kingdom of God. So there's this theme, right? And it's all throughout the Bible. This theme of us choosing to be less. And listen, when we choose to be less, God makes more out of us. John the Baptist, if you weren't here when I taught on John the Baptist, John the Baptist's kind of catchphrase, the thing that we remember John the Baptist saying was he said, let me decrease so God can increase. Ironically enough, the man that said, let me get smaller so God can get bigger. Later on in the gospel, Jesus says the greatest man that ever lived was John. So the more humble we make ourselves, the greater the kingdom will be. But to do that, we have to reject our pride. We have to reject our stubbornness, right? We have to reject self-righteousness. If you don't know what that means, that means we compare ourselves to each other. We do it all the time, right? Hey, I know I did this, but so-and-so did that, right? Someone's sitting over in this section right over here. You guys are okay over here. It's someone over here. Did something really, really bad. I'm just joking. Man, you guys are so quiet today. <laughs> someone clapped for me back there. Thank you. Thank you, whoever that was. And so what we have to do is we have to reject these very selfish things if we're to become 
true disciples of Jesus Christ because it's by humility that we're saved. Not just our humility. It started off with Jesus's humility. Listen, there's so much talk right now, people saying, I'm not gonna lay down my rights. I'm a Christian, I'm not gonna lay down my rights. Jesus laid down all of his rights, all of them. He stepped down from his throne in heaven to become a human, right? The God of the universe chose to be someone that could be hungry, that could be hurt, that could bleed. And so he came down in his own creation, unjustly arrested him and spat on him, nailed him to a cross. He gave up his rights. That's a very humble thing to do. That's how we're saved, is through Jesus Christ's humility on the cross. He could have called down legions of angels and just taken everyone out, but he decided not to. He was humble. And because of his humility, he opened up the door that through our humility, we can look at what he did and said, we are never good enough. It takes humility to do that. We will never be good enough to do enough to be saved. It is all by what Jesus did, not by my works, but by his works. It takes humility to say that there is no goodness in us apart from what he is inside of us. It is through his humility, through our humility. Humility is the key. And humility is the only way that we can have a relationship with God. You guys ever think about that statement? I've been, I'm not saying this like drop names. I've been around a lot of famous people in my life just because I've been in the right place at the right time and all this kind of stuff. But I never geeked out over famous people. I geeked out over one. I, I was one time, <laughs> so stupid. One time I was at a concert and I was sitting like three rows behind the keyboard player from The Cure, Roger O'Donnell. And I was like, that's Roger O'Donnell. My wife's like, chill out. And I was like, okay, yeah, all right. Anyways, um, you have to be like 40 years old to appreciate that I was at a Cure concert. Anyways, um, I don't geek out over famous people. And I find it kind of funny when Christians talk about geeking out over famous people because not only do we know someone famous, like we have a relationship with the creator of famous people. And we don't really think about that. And I think we take it for granted that I can have a personal relationship with God. But that only comes through humility, okay? Now it's gonna get dark for a second, I'm sorry. I'm trying to be happy, but it's, we're about to take a dark turn here. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses will inevitably come, but woe to that person by whom the offense comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell fire. So if humility is a good thing, arrogance and carelessness is obviously a bad thing. As much as humility leads us closer to the kingdom of God, carelessness and selfish behavior not only push us away from the kingdom of God two times, Jesus says it will invoke punishment, hell, hellfire, right? What does that mean? 
Jesus is talking about we're not just responsible for our actions, but if we cause other people to sin or do bad things, we're responsible for that too. Listen, how we treat other people is extremely important to Jesus. How we treat other people. In fact, the Bible says you will be known by how you treat each other. And as Christians, we're not just called to treat others the way we want to be treated. We're to love other people the way Jesus loves us. You know what that means? It sounds really depressing, and I don't mean it to be. We are to treat people in a manner that we should never expect for them to treat us back that way. Well, I was nice to you. Why aren't you nice to me? We're not promised that. We're just told to be nice. We're just told to love. Let me tell you something really depressing. You will never get out of people what you put into them. And you need to go into relationships knowing that it is a sacrifice, right? You will probably never reciprocate what you put in. And that's okay. Jesus never told us we would get reciprocated all that we put into it except for by him. So we're to love each other the way Jesus loves us. We're also called to watch out for each other. It's important that we welcome people. We help the poor. We help the hungry, right? We visit the prisoner. We show love and grace. But if we push people away, if we are offensive, right? If we're a stumbling block, there are dire consequences to that. Look at this graphic analogy Jesus uses. Jesus says, if you cause other people to stumble and fall away from, from, from God, Jesus himself, I didn't write this, so if this offends you, I didn't, I didn't write it. Jesus says, it's better that you kill yourself by drowning. It's better that you tie a millstone. Those things were a couple hundred pounds. Donkeys would push them. They would walk around in a circle and it would grind grain, right? Jesus says, it's better that you put one of those things around your neck and jump into the sea than to cause other people to sin or endanger other people's souls. That's a big deal. And Jesus says this, I'm quoting him here, woe to the world because of offenses. Paul writes about this in Romans. He writes about it in 1 Corinthians. He says that as Christians, us, we have certain liberties. We have certain freedoms. But if we use those liberties and freedoms in a careless way and it causes other people to stumble, we have sinned. Let me give you a practical example, okay? A practical example. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that we can't have alcohol. You can have a beer. There's nothing sinful about you having a beer with your pizza. Nothing sinful about you having a glass of wine with your wife or your husband when you're out on a date. Nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. As a Christian, I have every right to drink a beer or to drink a glass of wine. I don't drink because I have an addictive past, but if you can handle it, you have every right to do that. Now, let me tell you what we do at this church, and you can think I'm legalistic all day long, but I don't care. If you work at this church, we have no problem with you drinking a beer or having a glass of wine if you work at this church. No problem with that. But if you work at this church, we ask you to not do that in public. Well, that sounds hypocritical, Corey. Nope, it's not hypocritical. I just said right now, we're allowed to drink. The reason why we don't do that is I may be sitting there with a Newcastle beer at a restaurant and a guy that just signed up for CR who's only three days sober from alcoholism may be sitting in the booth next to me. And so I'm not a stumbling block. I have every right to drink a beer, but because I'm being careless as to how I'm doing it, I may cause that guy to slip back into addiction. I don't need to do it. Just because I'm permitted to do it doesn't mean it's beneficial for me to do it. That's what the Bible says. Well, Corey, it's my right. Well, being a Christian is a sacrificial experience. 
Being a Christian means that we have to be mature enough to know when we lay our rights down for the sake of the kingdom of God. Do I have a right to drink a beer? Yes. Do I have the right to sit there and drink it in front of someone who struggles with alcoholism? No, that is selfishness, foolishness, and it's not a Christian thing to do, okay? Is that okay? Does that make sense to everybody? Listen, that doesn't necessarily mean that none of you can have beer outside of it, outside somewhere, but you need to be cautious. You need to be careful, right? We need to know that we have these freedoms and we have to handle these freedoms well. So Christians should not aim to be offensive. Isn't it remarkable how many Christians are though? But Jesus says, woe to those that cause offense. That word woe, that shows up a lot in the book of Revelation. The word woe there means catastrophic. That is catastrophe, right? So it is catastrophic if we become careless and offensive. It doesn't honor God and it carries ramifications from God. He says hell twice, two times. Now, does that mean that the Bible is not offensive at times? The Bible is offensive. It's not, it's not aiming to offend people. But there are some people, because we have a spirit of offense in our culture right now. We're offended by everything. That wall's blue. No, it's not, because I don't want it to be blue. Okay, let's argue and lose friendships over that, right? So anyways, there are times that the truth is offensive because some people don't want to know the truth. But if we're just carelessly being offensive, if we're fighting all the time, arguing all the time, and we're causing others to not want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, right? We need to be careful of that. What that means is this, guys, as Christians, we are not called to argue with people different from us. That's not what we're called to do. Now, if there's another Christian that is teaching something destructive, you have every right to call that out, right? If it's not biblical. But here's what's crazy about a lot of Christians. We got those pastors, right, that, that get in front of Target when they were doing gender-neutral bathrooms and like, these stupid Target people, everyone's stupid, stupid, stupid. I don't have a degree from anywhere, but I'm, everyone's stupid, Right? Everyone's so stupid. And they're expecting non-believers to behave like believers. And that doesn't make any sense. Let me tell you what. Every non-believer that watches these, these different pastors that just yell and scream and everyone's going to hell and we're walking a thin line and you're bad and you're bad and everyone's bad. While they're doing that, non-believers are looking at it saying, man, if that's that religion of love, I don't want anything to do with that. Can we talk like adults here for a second? Listen, we, we, instead of looking at that transgendered young man that you see somewhere, like at a restaurant, right? Instead of making fun of that guy and calling him a queer and a fag and telling your kids, man, look at that, they don't know biology, there's only two genders, and look at that fag, look at that queer, and saying all kinds of offensive, terrible things, cutting them down, arguing with people, posting posts about it. Listen, I'm not telling you to agree with that lifestyle. The Bible doesn't support that. But maybe instead of yelling and hating and, and saying awful things about that person, maybe if you got to know that person, maybe you'd eventually learn that they got raped when they were eight years old by their cousin. And maybe that's why they're so sexually messed up. And maybe there's a lot of hurts and scars. Maybe they never had a father in their life. And you know what happens when we start loving people versus hating them is we start to have empathy for them. And we start to pray for them. And maybe, just possibly, God will start to infiltrate their heart because we have shown them love. Do you know, hold, hold on. Do you know hatred will never bring people to a God that is love? It will never work. It doesn't mean we condone those actions. It doesn't mean we agree with what everyone's doing. But if you're sitting there screaming and yelling about how stupid everyone is in Target, 
If you ever go into that target, you're never going to be able to witness to anyone in there because you've demonized everyone. You've trashed everyone. You've torn everyone apart. We cannot expect non-believers to act like believers. They don't know any better. It's our job not to debate them. It is our job to direct them to the word of God. It is our job to direct them to the truth. Find me a place in the Bible where Jesus rolls into town. He's like, get me a liberal up here so we can tear each other apart. (laughs) So what do we do? Let's say there's something in our life that either causes us to sin or maybe it causes someone else to sin. What do we do with that? Well, Jesus, again, uses a graphic analogy and he says, well, cut it off. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble or lust, cut it off, right? If it causes someone else to. What does that mean? That's an analogy, of course, right? Don't go sawing off your hands or gouging out your eyes. It means that anything that causes us or others to sin must be deliberately and quickly dealt with. It means we cannot afford to dabble in temptation and sin. Well, I'm a Christian, but Friday night is ladies' night, right? I can flirt with all these dudes, even though I'm married. I can get drunk. I can do all this stuff. It's ladies' night. And we think as Christians, we can compartmentalize that. Well, I'm good six and a half days of the week, but man, Friday night, it's Friday night. You dabble in that long enough, you're going to end up divorced. (laughs) You dabble in that long enough, you're going to end up addicted. You dabble in that long enough, it's going to cost you your soul and your eternity. We can't do that. We have to identify that those things are dangerous that they're stumbling blocks, right? Not just for us, for others, and we have to deal with that. It's like if you're looking at pornography every single night at two o'clock in the morning at the laptop in your house, you either gotta close the laptop or get rid of the laptop. You gotta do something, right? Cut the internet. Whatever you gotta do, you gotta cut that off. And so this analogy that Jesus uses about removing it, right? Gouging it out. He was saying is sacrifice those comforts now because it'll benefit you in eternity. Listen, when we get to heaven, you're not gonna, there's not gonna be armless and eyeless people walking around. It's an analogy. When you get to heaven, we're gonna have perfect glorified bodies, right? You can eat circus peanuts all day long and still have a six pack. That is heaven. And we will enter into that. You guys are like, it sounds like hell to me. No, it's good. Anyways, when we enter into heaven, we're gonna have perfect bodies. But what Jesus is saying is on a practical level, again, if that computer's making you stumble, don't have a computer. You can live without that in your house, right? Better to not have a computer than go to hell for eternity. Better to to lose a friend circle, right? If you're hanging out, if you're a lady in here and you're hanging out with a bunch of ladies who are like, you need to divorce him or we need to go out and party and get him back for not taking you out on a date or whatever this garbage is, you need to get away from those girls, You need to move away from those kinds of quote-unquote friends. Maybe you're around a group of people that make you feel materialistic and you have to get into debt to keep up with the Joneses. You need to separate yourself from that. You don't need to be materialistic. Maybe there's some, some woman that keeps flirting with you at the office in the cubicle next to you and you're married and you know this isn't right. You need to move cubicles or you might have to move jobs. Whatever you have to cut off, whatever you have to gouge out, to keep you away. You know the Bible tells you to run from sin? Flee from it. Get away from it. Because if you try to dabble in it, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. Look at this scripture. Man, there's so many good scriptures in the Bible. Look at this. Peter wrote this. I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, we won't even get to that today because it's not applicable, right? To keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Listen, that ladies' night where you guys are going out and getting drunk and flirting with a bunch of dudes that you're not married to, your husband's at home, that's not harmless. 
There's a war. <laughs> and it's for your soul. It is for your soul. There's a war being waged, and it's all fun and games until your marriage falls apart, isn't it? It's all fun and games until you get an STD. It's all fun and games until you're up to debt, up to your eyeballs, and you can't afford anything, right? It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt, until you get hurt. Keep away from those things. Stay away from them. They wage war against your soul. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Wait a second, it matters how we live around non-believers? Of course it does. Jesus tells us to be the light of the world. We're to have a good rapport with non-believers. Then even if they accuse us of doing wrong, we have lived honorably. We have lived honorably. And some of those people will turn and they will come to God and on the day of judgment, they will go to heaven versus going to hell because we have been an honorable example. What a great passage. Kind of encapsulates everything we talked about today. So let's talk about these responsibilities, okay? Now listen, all of us in this room, you're probably gonna cross one of these and be like, I need, I need help on that one. And that is perfectly fine. None of us are perfect, right? All of us need help. It's okay. It, it's not a bad thing to say, I'm struggling with that one. The first responsibility, though, is humility. There is no such thing as an arrogant Christian. Those two, it's, like, it's like oil and water. They cannot blend. If you're around someone that's super arrogant and they claim to be a Christian, they're really not a Christian. Because here's the thing. You can only follow someone if we're humble. You have to be humble to say you're in charge, right? And that's not just Jesus. To honor authority, to honor pastors, to honor each other, right? To mutually submit in a marriage. You have to be humble, Humility is the key for our salvation. Humility is the key for us to have a relationship with God. There is no Christianity without humility. It is impossible. We also, listen, the last time I'll say this. We have to be wise and mature enough Christians to know just because I have the right to do something doesn't mean that I should always do it. The Bible says this, Scripture says this, just because it's permissible doesn't mean it's beneficial. So it is not legalism to say, I can drink, but I can't drink there. That is wisdom. That is wisdom, and that is caring more about other people than it is caring about yourself. That shows maturity in a Christian, okay? To where we say, I have the right to do this. I have the right. Let me tell you guys a story real quick about these masks. I go into a certain coffee shop all the time. I'll just, I go into Just Love quite a bit by my house. I live on the north side of town, so I go into the, the original Just Love all the time. They make you wear this, and they're not very tight on it, quite frankly, but, but they, they, they ask you to wear it, and you, when you sit down, you can take it off, right? Now, we can argue all day long if the virus just, you know, like stops looking when you're eating or whatever. We can, we can have those debates. But here's the point. Here's the point. It's not about a virus at this point for me. I respect the owner of that establishment enough to where if they say, put on a mask, it's like if I invite you over to my house and say, please take off your shoes, and you're like, no, I don't have to. Well, it's my house, but I don't have to. Okay, so it's not so much about a virus. It's about I respect the owner of that establishment enough to say they want me to do it, so I'm going to do it, Right? I'm going to respect them because I want to have a good rapport. Because you know what? Every single employee at that Just Love knows what I do for a living. They know who I am. They know what I do. I was in a Just Love commercial recently. Isn't that cool and famous? Anyways, <laughs> and I had a mask on in the commercial. So, But they know what I do. And in order to have a good relationship with that establishment, 
Do I have to do it? I guess I don't have to, but I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna lay down that right, right? Because I want to have a good rapport with these people. I have the right, but I willingly lay that right down, okay? Another responsibility we have, and this one, that bleeds into this, we need to have a good reputation with non-believers. Jesus says, let your light shine before others so they can see your good works and not honor you, honor God in heaven. They were not to carelessly offend. Next time you post something really mean on Facebook, just again, ask yourself, does this glorify God? Does this make Christianity look good? Ask yourself that before you post it. Paul tells us to, to model integrity, to model love, to model good works, to model purity, to model dignity. The church's reputation within the community matters. Listen, I'll say that it matters, but not to the cost of giving up our biblical principles. The problem with a lot of churches right now is they're saying, we wanna have a good reputation with the community, so we're going to ignore certain parts of the Bible. We cannot go down that route. We cannot go down that route. If the truth offends people, that's not us. God, that's God. It's his truth, not ours, okay? So we have to stick by the word, but we can still have a good reputation with the community around us. You need to watch out for other believers. What that means is this. Christians have a knack for beating up other Christians. We are so great at it. I bet 99% of all the hateful things that's ever been said to me about this church emails I've got, fun Facebook posts or Google reviews or whatever, I bet 99% of those hateful things came from people who profess to be Christians. Whenever a Christian pastor somewhere has a moral failure, or even if they don't have a moral failure, I remember when Mark Driscoll several years ago didn't have a moral failure, he was just kind of a jerk, right? Lost his church and everyone just blacklisted him. We hate him. We hate him. Let's kick him. One of ours fell down. Let's go beat him up. It's not the way it's supposed to be. At times, we have to give up freedoms for the sake of others, other believers. We need to pray for other believers. We need to be a support for other believers. We need to hold each other accountable. If one of your sisters or brothers in Christ is doing something that you know is wrong because we love them, we go to them and say, man, that's not okay. You can't do that. That's a sin. That's gonna tear apart your marriage. It's gonna hurt your children. It's gonna hurt your soul. Man, I love you. Don't do that. That's not a mean thing to do. That's a loving thing to do. Guys, we are family. Even if you and I don't know each other personally, you're my brother, you're my sister. And everyone who follows this book, we need to start treating them more like family. The Bible even says above all else, right? The first and foremost, we honor the family of God. And as we have opportunity, we do that outside of these walls. But first and foremost, we gotta watch out for each other. Stop comparing yourself to other churches or comparing yourself to other Christians are arguing about things that aren't essential, right? Now, the last two responsibilities, these are personal ones, okay? The first one is this. Listen, this is very important. We have to address and feel remorse when we sin against God. That means we have to ask God to forgive us. There's two parts of repentance. This is part number one. We have to address it and we have to ask God to forgive us of it. There are two kinds of sin. Sins of commission, which means we did something that God told us not to do. And then there are sins of omission, which means God told us to do something and we didn't do it. Both of those, we are to feel genuinely sorrowful because we have not done what God has expected us to do. If we genuinely love him, it's like your spouse, right? If you hurt your spouse's feelings or if, if, if your wife or your husband expects something and you don't do it, 
If we love our spouse, that should, that should affect us. We should want to make it right. We should want to apologize. It's the same thing with God, but that is only half of it. The other half is we have to take the steps to remove the temptation of sinning again. What does that mean, practically speaking? If we find ourselves looking at pornography all the time on our phone, you're going to think this is crazy. Corey, I can't believe you said that. If you find yourself looking at pornography on your smartphone all the time, it may be time to go get a flip phone. <gasps> How can we live? I was speaking at a conference in Orlando uh, earlier this year when you could still do conferences and talk to people. Uh, and there was this pastor from a really, really big church. I won't say his name because I don't want to embarrass him, but really, really big church, about the size of our church, five, 6,000 people. And we get to talking and we spoke at this big conference together and, and, and we were on a panel together. And, and so he goes, hey, Corey, can I get your number? And I was like, yeah, I pull out my iPhone, right? Boop, 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 boop. You know, here, here's my number. I kid you not, man, this guy pulled out like a Nokia flip phone. <laughs> When's the last time you saw one of those? It was like going back in time to like 1995. He pulls it out. <laughs> put my number in and it takes about 10 minutes because it's that T9 thing. This is all just for one letter, right? Okay, C. <laughs> o, okay. You know, that's, that's what it was like. But you know why I did that? Because he used to have a problem with looking at stuff that he shouldn't look at on his phone. <laughs> so this guy who pastors his mega church he knew that he needed to cut that off. So he did. I had so much respect for this dude. I was looking at him like, man, you are now the coolest guy in the room. I couldn't believe the respect. He knew that that phone was a temptation, so he got away from the temptation. What that means is this, guys. Not only do we ask God to forgive us of the sin, but if you find yourself looking at pornography every single night on your laptop, if you keep that laptop open and go back to it at two o'clock every single night, that's not, really, that's not really repentance. It's like if my wife comes up to me and says, hey, I went on a date with another guy last week. I feel really, really bad about it, but I'm gonna do it again this Friday. I'm glad you felt bad about it the first time. Why are you doing it again? We have to take the steps to get away from those things. Again, the Bible says flee, run away from it. Jesus says, cut it off, cut it off. Better for you to not have a computer, better for you to not have that friend group, better for you to not have that job than to find yourself in hellfire. That's what Jesus said. Humility, stewarding our privileges, being a good witness to non-believers, holding our brothers and sisters in Christ accountable and loving each other, addressing personal sin, and choosing to step away from that sin. These are responsibilities that we as followers of Jesus Christ have, okay? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Listen, last time I'm gonna say it, as your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, I love you guys. And I'm kind of a hypocrite because I haven't been doing it the best to myself. Please take care of yourself, guys. Take care of yourself physically. Make sure you're, you're just being safe. I'm not gonna sound like your grandpa here, but just eat right, take care of yourself. If you have to distance yourself, whatever you gotta do, just, just keep yourself healthy. Keep yourself mentally healthy. Find some good friends. Don't lose contact with people. Keep yourself spiritually healthy. Make sure you're praying, reading the word of God. 
If you're in here today and maybe you have questions about faith, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Muhammad is up here. If you have any questions for him, come up here and just talk to, to, to Pastor Muhammad. Anything you might have that, that you can ask. If we don't know the answer, we'll get you plugged in somewhere. We'll help you out. If you're watching online, info at experiencecc.com. Send us an email. If you're in here and you need prayer for anything, there'll be men and women on both sides of the stage. Come up here, and, and if you want to lay down a burden on someone, these are your brothers and sisters, guys. You've got nothing to be ashamed of. Maybe you just need someone to pray with you, support you, lift you up. The last thing is this, and whether you're doing this at home or doing this in the room, we have communion. Here is the beauty of doing communion. Now, you can do this at any time, anywhere. You don't even have to have communion with you. But what's wonderful about communion is it gives us a time to address any sin that may be in our life. Because the Bible says we have to address sin before we can take the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the, 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 the blood and the body, right? We have to do that. So what we have the opportunity to do right now is, is we can take that juice, we can take that bread, we can remember that Jesus loves us so much that he gave his own life to forgive us of sin. So we just ask if there's any sin in our life, God, please forgive me of that. And right now today, whether you're at home eating a Ritz and some kind of juice or you're in here, right, eating that fake wafer and whatever that juice is, if we ask God, forgive us, he forgives you. But then once we leave this room or we leave our home, we've got to be responsible for stepping away from sin. Cut it off. Gouge it out, okay? Father, we love you. God, I thank you so much for this church. Lord, this is my family. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. Father, please encourage them, strengthen them. Hold up their arms, God, when they can't hold them up, Lord. Strengthen marriages, strengthen families, strengthen single people, individuals, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Help us to have the strength, Lord, not only to, to, to ask for forgiveness, God, but to step away from what may be tempting us. We love you and we pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you, guys.